Hello and welcome to Switzer TV Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. This program goes out on Monday nights on the Switzer Financial Group YouTube channel. And this week we want to focus on, and this is the last show of the year, we want to focus on what is the best investment strategy for 2020 and what kind of stock should you be looking at? Now, we've told our financial planning clients that basically we think we should be investing and long on stocks at least until March of next year based on the idea that we thought there would be a trade deal before Christmas and as we've seen there's been a 60% or first phase trade deal knocked up by Donald Trump with China. So the momentum's there and we've seen the stock market particularly today rocket up on the strength of that helped along by the election in the UK which suggests that Brexit might get solved you know, much quicker under Boris Johnson or Bojo. So that's been my idea for investing going forward in 2020. Uh, because both the election and the trade deal has been knocked up, maybe we go even longer uh, ahead, uh, from March into April and even maybe May. But I always remember that old cliche, sell in May and go away, come back on St. Ledger's Day. Now St. Ledger's Day is September. I reckon the market could be a bit dicey between May and November when the US election's on. But along the course of next year, I will be monitoring how it's going. But basically, I feel as though I'm confident to be in stocks at least till around March or April of 2020. And then I want to look at you know other reasons or good reasons for buying stocks and what stocks they might be. And I'm going to talk about that with Paul Rickard. Julia Lee and Michael McCarthy. But I also want to emphasize that 2020 should be a good year for stocks for a number of reasons. Let me run through them. You'll see on the slide, if you examine the return of the S&P 500 index for the, each of the 23 election years since 1928, you'll see that in only four of them was it a negative year. Now, Pepperdine professor Marshall Nicholas in a 2010 paper called Presidential Elections and Stock Market Cycles presented data showing that a profitable strategy would be to invest on October 1 of the second year of a presidential term and then sell out on December 31 of year four. These returns don't always work out, but there is a historical inclination towards them being pretty reliable. Now, putting it all together to make an assessment of what your investment strategy should be in 2020, you'd have to think that politics will be pro-stocks. You'd also think that the economy, the US economy, is heading in the right direction. You'd also think that the EU will benefit from the UK election and a quicker and better Brexit uh, solution to their problems. And then you'd probably throw in the fact that China's growth can be better because of the fact that the trade deal is out of the way and, and more uh, Chinese industries can respond more positively to the better global economy coming out of the trade deal. Throwing it all together, you have to think that the S&P 500 can easily go up. The consensus right now is about 5% for the market, throwing dividends about 8%. But I've got a sneaking suspicion that 2020 will be even better than 5%. And this, of course, is our last show, and we will be back on the 20th of January. And coming up in this show tonight, we've got Michael McCarthy from CNC Markets and Julia Lee from Berman Invest. They'll give us their views on 2020. Then Paul Ricard will do the same. And then we'll finish off with Camilla Love from E-Invest. And she'll talk about investing in a late bull market.
All right, guys, we want to know, you know, I think we did pretty well in 2019. I know I tipped 7,000 and we haven't quite got there, but we've got a couple of days to go. And you guys have had some fantastic tips. All year you've had good tips. There might have been the odd one I I remember you didn't do well on, but I would say if you gave us 40 tips, I would say 30 of them have been absolutely fantastic. Party time. Yeah, party time. (laughs) And I think a lot of people watch this know how well you guys have been going. Let's just run through what you might like for 2020. Big picture first, what do you think is going to happen in the stock market and then in the stocks you like? Big picture first, Julie. Well, first of all, 2019 has been a fantastic year. We're up about 25% if you include dividends. Mm. And in scenarios like these, people have a tendency to get nervous. They think what goes up must come Come down. down. So I thought, you know, I'd go back in time and I'd crunch the numbers to have a look at all those times we saw double-digit returns in terms of the market. And I looked at the global index, so Mm. the MSCI global index, and I crunched it from 1980 and 21 instances of double-digit returns and amazingly in 16 out of the 21 years we've seen another year of positive performances. Mm. In fact it hasn't Mm. been unusual to see a string of double-digit performances from 1985 to 1989 every single year was double Sounds like a momentum story doesn't it? Yeah but also Mm. 1995 to 1999 every single year was double-digit returns. So while we get nervous when we see these strong Mm. returns it's usually the sign that something's happening in terms of the global economy and that momentum is likely to continue. Okay so you're you're at least positive Positive. for stocks next year. Maka? Well Peter more of the same. At the beginning of the year, we were talking about it, and you made that very courageous call. I didn't quite come with you. I was looking for all-time highs, but yes. nonetheless, <laughs> you were more courageous. But what we did talk about also was a, a lot of volatility, volatility. There's quiet periods and then big yeah. moves in the market. We got That's that exactly what you said. over the course of this mm. year. And that meant that once again, the rewards went to active investors. Mm. Those prepared to take some profits when the markets are near high, mm. take something off the table so that they can put something back into the market when it swings low. And I'm expecting to see a very similar year We've got overall a positive outlook. Global economy is growing. There's no mm. two ways about that. Despite the concerns about slowing, it is still growing. That means a positive trajectory overall for shares, but the path could once again be very rocky. Mm. And there will be times yeah. when we'll be, look, be looking into the abyss and other times when we'll be thinking about new all-time highs for the yeah. Australian share. And I guess if you run a brokerage, you want people to buy at the top and get out no, sell at the top and then buy at the bottom and keep doing plenty of work with you. Well, well for two good reasons. First of all, they pay more commission. <laughs> better. Yes, that's definitely in our interest. But secondly, uh, our clients will be wealthier if they do that. Exactly. And that means they'll have more to invest in the market. And all they have to do is just get your advice and... I don't give advice. I, don't, I like market opportunities. <laughs> Good on you. Potential okay. market opportunities. Okay, so as you can see, we do support the idea of, of stocks can go up in 2020. Let's talk about the stocks you like. Julia. Well, one thing I see every single year is that it's much easier to find the best performers from the best performers list mm, rather than the worst okay. performers list. So I went back to 2018 and have a, had a look at the 10 best performers on the ASX 200 index yep. and the 10 worst. Now, the 10 best are an average in 2018 performance of 65%. This year, average performance of 64%, and every single one that was in the top 10 last year saw a positive performance this year. But you see yourselves in there. (laughs) Nine out of the 10 Mm. managed to beat the market. So only one managed not to beat the market, even though it had a performance of about 15%. The worst performers uh, saw an average, so the 10 worst performers last year, this year saw an average performance of minus 4%. And while there were some stunners in there, we saw IOOF shares up by 75%, automotive Mm. holdings up by 120%, only four out of those 10 managed gains. So okay. the key is, which ones were the best and the worst performers? Okay, so, so I, I guess you would have looked at the best 
10 performers so far this year as a clue for next year. Yeah. So what were the standouts? Uh, if we have a look at the top five in terms of the ASX 200 this year so far, we've seen Avita Medical in there, mm. Polynovo, EML Payments, which you know I yeah. like, Fortescue, as well as Jumbo Interactive. Yeah. On the worst performer side, we've seen stocks like Costa Group, um, as well as uh, Speedcast in there, Galaxy, Pil Pilbara Minerals, as well as St. Barbara Mines. So they've been the five worst okay. performers so far. Right, so Maka, she mentioned Costa Group in there. Yeah. You can see turnarounds, don't yeah, forget. Right. <laughs> and you're a Costa guy. Somebody was a Smart IQ Group fan um, earlier this year. That, mm. that stock hasn't done too well. I think it just goes to show none of us know the future better. Mm. And yes, certainly some, uh, I've, I've certainly had some wrong over the course of the year. Oh, no, I didn't want to emphasize that. But, I don't but think, you, I you, think it's too early yeah. to call it wrong. Um, yeah. You know, the turnaround plays can well, be the most That's the artificial bound we put on it, start yeah. of the year to end of the year. That yeah. is artificial in distinct yeah. terms, yeah. particularly when we don't report to anyone, that's right. whether yeah. it's monthly, quarterly, yearly, or four mm. yearly. Yeah. But nonetheless, um, looking at thematics, though, and Julia's analysis is absolutely spot mm. on, but looking at thematics, one of the least liked trades at the beginning of this year was consumer exposures. Yes. And yet here we are at the end of the year. Now, the market's up 21.5% or thereabouts. They're in the 30s, aren't they, these ones? Well, the Perfect. consumer staples are only up a little bit more than that, just oh. over yeah. the, the market performance. But consumer discretionary has been the third best performing yeah. sector on the market this year. Yeah. So, and it's up more than. 30%. And a lot of those stocks are shorter. That are like JB Hi-Fi. JB Hi-Fi. Really shorter. So yeah. it, it goes to show shorters can get it wrong, but also sometimes picking unpopular themes mm. can work out very well yeah. because they're unowned. And mm. if the cycle does turn and they come back into favour, yeah. the moves upward can be very sharp. And look, it depends on your time frame whether you're looking at the short-term performance, mm. the medium-term performance, or the long-term performance. Yeah. And yeah. Michael has a great track record of picking those turnaround plays. I remember BHP Billiton at what was it, mm. fifteen bucks, thirteen bucks? Yeah, in the well, fourteen bucks, you know. Occasionally, mm. I mean, and it just goes to show there are many different ways to approach the market, yeah. many ways to solve the market puzzle. So yeah. we all do it differently. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. I'm looking at thematics for this year yeah. along those lines. And oh, I'm, yeah, for 2020, you mean? This is for 2020. Yeah. And so the financials are the worst performing sector, up 10%, yep. half the market gains. There are good reasons for that. Mm. But some, all of the stocks in that sector have suffered from the downdraft, with very few exceptions. Macquarie is one exception mm. that comes to mind. But most of the stocks have been badly affected. And I think good businesses like ANZ, for example, mm. which has moved ahead of all of its peers in terms of reshaping its business, appears to have a much cleaner sheet when it comes to regulatory issues, has been caught in that downdraft that sucked all of the big four banks down. So at $24, I think ANZ looks very interesting for 2020. Right. and could be one of the key contributors to a strong index Gain. But the other uh, couple of themes that I'm playing uh, is the return of active management. And we've talked before about Challenger Financial Group mm. and Platinum Asset Management. I think both of those shares, despite the fact that Platinum, for example, is up 24% since we started talking about it, I think mm. it still has a long way to go in terms of coming back into favour. Uh, and so that thematic is an important one. And the other thematic I like is the drought turning. Now, I might be well ahead of this, and there's no predicting the future. What, 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 what's I, your weather forecasting ability like, Maka? Well, it's not as strong as my market <laughs> forecasting ability, Peter, but right. that, I'm in line with the weatherman on that one, I believe. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, I don't know when the drought's going to break, Peter, but I do think a lot of these stocks, yeah. like Costa, yeah. like Graincorp, are, are at drought lows. And if you took a, I think when you and I actually did talk about BHP in its $14, $15 area, one of the things I said to you, Maka, if we did this for, on a three-year basis, 
would you expect that BSP might be $20? And if you make $6 on 14 over three years on a per year basis, they're pretty good returns for a good company. The question we, I guess I have to ask you about Costa Group, is it a, basically a good company that the drought's really given it a real gobful? That's my assessment, Peter. This is a management team who are streets ahead of their competition in terms of understanding the chain of supply from growing uh, produce to delivering it to consumers mm. and they're all the way across this chain and they're diversified horizontally across the business so mm. I, I see them as being in very good shape once the drought will Would there turns. be a Chinese takeover like Bellamy's? Well I hope it doesn't come too soon yeah. Peter, that'd be my concern. Yeah. Yeah. Julian, anything else you'd like to throw in before we say Merry Christmas to everybody? And I think happy we year? should be celebrating the markets pretty much at all time <laughs> highs, 25%. Oh, no. It just doesn't feel like been a strong bull run because of the volatility that yeah. we've seen. We've never had it so good. No. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Mackie, got anything else you want to say before we wrap Merry it up? Merry Christmas to yeah. all, all of you. Merry and Christmas. Have a wonderful and spectacularly successful New Year. Yeah, and I think if people had listened to you two guys, they should have had a pretty good year. Thanks very much. Thanks, Thanks Pete. Okay, coming up, we're going to be talking to Paul Rickard and what he thinks he can see for 2020. So what I want to do is uh, pick Paul Rickard's brains on how he's going to invest in 2020. Paul, how'd you go in 2019? Did you kill them, shoot well, lots I uh, probably didn't do as well as you, Peter, because I, I wasn't calling for 7,000. We're pretty close towards 7,000 uh, by the end of the year, well, Peter. I get so, so I think a bit of congratulations, because when you stuck your neck out and said 7,000 at the yeah. start of the year, I said, Jesus, you're smoking something, right? But, you know. You didn't say courageous, <laughs> courageous call. I probably called it a courageous call, Peter. But uh, look, it's been a great year for equities, mm. and uh, I've done okay. But look, it's gone further than I thought. I mean, I, I guess. Uh, Listen, you've got to see the two things in hindsight. We had a very disappointing second half of 2018, particularly yep. the last couple of months. Yep. And then we had uh, the Fed change tack on the 20th of December last year. And then it's been, it's been you know, it's been sort of taken off since then and gone yeah. further than I thought. But if you look at two years together, 18 and 19, it's probably about right. It's just that the, I don't think we quite saw the dip as much in, eight, in 2018 and not the recovery as much in 2019. Yeah, and, and I think the important... Which reminds us, markets just don't go one direction. They, no. you know, they have these ups and downs, which yeah. sometimes surprises us. And, and I guess the, the, the understanding that I think the US market was up about 26%, we're up about 23%, mm -hmm. ignoring dividends. The question is, what do you think will happen next year? And I've got to say, I've hosed down my expectations. I think it'll be a positive year, but I'm not expecting 23% or anything like that. Paul, what do you think the market will go up? Well, so I still think we're looking for an up year. The trend is in, in place. We've been in a bull market now since uh, February 2009, roughly. I think that's mm, yeah. the official start. So we're into the 11th year. Some people say a bit longer, it just depends when you count it from. But, uh, mm. you know, so the trend is still your friend. And mm. so, Bottom line, will, will should stocks be higher at the end of 2020 than they are today? I'd mm. say that's what you, you basically invest for. Yeah. Uh, I have a little bit of trepidation like you, Peter, about, about next year because of, um, you know, a lot was depending on, on a trade deal. We've sort of got phase one through. Mm. I guess they're going to muddle through and President Trump wants to have a more favourable market going into to the election. So we're all banking on that happening. But... Mm. At some stage, you look at equities markets and say they're getting a bit pricey. So yeah. I think 
bottom line, playing is still long, but I'm not expecting a huge amount of two thousand. So I guess, Paul, two things that will drive the U.S. market, and the U.S. market clearly has helped our market, would be the strength of the economic data, mm-hmm. then whether Trump can add another trade deal on over the course of the year. I guess I'd throw a third one in. If the economic data is too, too strong, Talk about interest rate rises will come on, and that could spook the market, couldn't it? Yeah, I mean, look, that, that's, a, I guess, a risk. You probably only need to say, you know, 5 or 10% chance. The mm. first time I've, today I think I've heard people talking about a possible interest rate increase in mm. 2020. That's not what the market is saying. Yeah. Uh, and it would uh, only be in the USA, it wouldn't yeah, be here in Australia. only been in the USA. And that's, I guess, the problem for us investing is that normally, you know, bull markets are with strong economic growth, and, the, and economic growth has been easing globally, and... Mm. And we've seen really just, it's been lower interest rates that have driven this market higher. Mm. I think that the, 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 the scenario that would still see 60 or 70% would be um, a US economy okay, but not really, you know, not rocking the socks off, but benefiting from maybe an easing of the trade tension, benefiting from these lower interest rates and the Fed being, you know, pretty patient the other way. That mm. is... Uh, not in any hurry to do too much in interest rates. Okay, Paul. Do you and, 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 a, and a set up for an election in, in November yeah. next year. Do you think the old selling may and go away is a chance this year? Look, I think there's more of a chance um, simply because of that timing of the cycle. I mean, mm. elections get messy and ugly and, uh, you know, and maybe... Donald Trump, you can bet there's yeah, some ugliness well, somewhere along the line. Yeah, maybe the Democrats will find a candidate. Right. <laughs> you know, mm. yes, anything could surprise us. And if mm. they do find a candidate, we actually might have an election. Um, mm. But the way it's going, it's 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 uh, it's looking a bit messy. But mm. I think I think the markets, you know, the Yanks like being optimistic and euphoric, and, yeah. and they are at the moment. So it seems like they're going to start 2020 pretty positive. They're going to look forward to the election. They're going to look forward to you know the economy's doing uh, not brilliantly. Mm. But okay, they're going to look forward and saying, okay, Donald will get, will have some victory on the trade deal. Maybe he will, yeah. maybe he won't. Um, so I guess that you know, a little more upside, and maybe people at some stage get a little more nervous into that election. Was Brexit good for stock markets? Oh, uh, look, it's not bad. I mean, it was taking obviously a huge risk away for the UK. I mean, it would have been a disaster if Corbyn had got in. It was a sell everything type mm-hmm. scenario. Mm-hmm. Now that's out of the way. Well. You know, the hard job for Bojo starts, he's actually got to deliver on Brexit. That's not January 31. Well, that's the easy, but actually getting the legislation through, it's actually what happens as a result. It's all mm. those, potentially the trade deals. What's the relationship with the EU, which is still remains Britain's biggest trading partner, something like 50% of their exports, or a bit more go to the EU. Yeah. What's the relationship long-term in terms of trade with the EU? That's mm. not clear yet. That's not as part of this agreement. They've actually got to nut out an, an agreement post the separation of the article, what is Article 12 or Article 41, whatever it is. Whatever uh, it is. I, I've lost track of which mm. article number it is, Peter, but whatever, the separation, which will occur on 31st of January, okay. they've still got to get a deal, a proper a proper trade arrangement post-Brexit. Okay, this is a hard question, Paul. What stocks are you going to like for 2020? Well, I've, I've nominated three sectors, Peter, that I'm a little more in, 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 inclined to um, mm. think favourably about. One is, I think, consumer discretionary. I had a good year this year, but I think it's actually maybe the Aussie economy, let's say it's going to improve, but I'm not saying it's going to get much worse either. Lower interest rates should, 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 should help that a little bit. I think still healthcare, mm. obviously because of the, um, you know, we say it has been the best performing sector this year, last year, the year before, five mm. years and 10 years. <laughs> And the, um, it's a very healthy sector. It's a very healthy sector, and the 
you know, we know it's got all these fantastic tailwinds in ageing population, mm. not only is the population ageing, but we're all using more and more medical services. Yep. We want to live longer mm. and governments keep having to spend more money on things like this and NDIS and everything else that relates back to the health sector. Mm. Uh, so it's got all those fantastic drivers. We've also mm. got three global companies, that is companies that are the leaders in their field. So, you know, CSL is a global number mm. one in blood plasma products. ResMed is the global leader in sleep apnea and Cochlear is the global leader in, in ear implants. We don't have too many global leaders no, in Australia. But they're good companies. And Ramsey is one of the best private hospital operators globally. So, you know, um, we've got some great healthcare companies, very expensive, mm. but I think they can get more expensive. So, um, okay, so I was saying long healthcare, uh, consumer discretion, maybe a bit of pick up in the economy. There's still I, JB Hi-Fi. Yeah, or? I'm still in JB Hi-Fi. I did write it was expensive, but yeah. you know, they, 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 they do it right. I'd like to say go long the banks. Mm. I'm going to play banks market weight. Mm. Um, I'm not sure the market is yet to re-rate that, mm. ready to re-rate that sector. Maybe the mean reversion comes in at some stage. Um, the sectors I'm a little nervous about, I think, the material sector, more so, I just don't believe the iron ore price can stay where it is once mm. um, Vale gets back up to speed. You've also probably got an easing in the gold price, so I think that's tough for the material for the for the, the uh, materials side. Mm. Maybe okay for the sort of the non-metals materials companies okay, like Amcor mm. and Aurora, okay. and uh, there's some others up there that are involved outside the. You know the the metal part um, might be right for those sort of companies, particularly with the trade. Is, is there an energy company you like? I like energy companies overall. I think the oil price, OPEX, shown it can manage production. <laughs> yes, that's right? right. They've been really good at that. Yeah. I mean, this year they're I was good like, at cartels at long last. They're good at cartels. They've worked at that game. They've even got the the non-OPEC members like the Ruskies playing. So yeah. they all know how to play the cartel game. Yeah. Uh, and so I I think both Santos and Woodside are okay there. Mm. The sectors I think are too expensive are uh, uh, consumer staples. So I've been in Bear on Woolworths. I think that's had its had its run. Um, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't a great year for sectors so much this year. Mm. I think it was more about stocks. A lot of people like Telstra. I can't quite get as excited about Telstra. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying it's going to go down, but uh, I, a lot of people are sort of tipping that as a stock for 2021 or 2020. I'm not yeah. sure I'm there. All uh, right. What is the one? UK-sensitive stock that you think is going to benefit from the fact that the election's over, Brexit is likely to happen quicker under Boris Johnson, Bojo. What's the one UK-sensitive stock? Well, I guess Link is still in, in, in upside recovery. The, the mm. uncertainty around Link, uh, the, there were a couple of reasons why the Link share price, three reasons why the Link share price is where it is. One was obviously the change in the super laws here that hit it first up. The second was the issue with the UK and Brexit yep. because it slowed down to business about the corporate markets, IPOs, mm. it's new, it's fund managers doing stuff, mm. all the other certainty, that's gone. The third reason is quite link specific and that's to do with the fund manager scandal, one of their clients, and they've got an investigation by the uh, UK um, regulatory authority. That's still out there, so that's mm. a negative. We don't know whether that's gonna go away or have some big, big final mm. link. Mm. So that's probably the negative. I mean, um, okay, Virgin Money's rallied. I, I, I sort of rate Virgin Money, which is the old CYBC mm. uh, bank. Clydesdale. as mm. being really a sort of a second or third tier UK bank. I'm mm. not sure why you need to be there, mm. apart from the accident of it mm. being spun out of the nap. And what about Pendle? Pendle's a possible one. I mean, fund manager, they've, I mean, it's been as much a funds in, uh, outflow story for them, so they haven't been doing as well as, say, for example, compared to some of the other majors. Mm. But 
but they're a possibility. I mean, I'm not sure. If, yeah, lend lease is a possibility. There's also um, premium. There's a couple of others. I mean, I probably would still back Link out of those. Um, okay. I think we may have perhaps seen. I think they always get sold off harder when things are going to happen than they do in the rally. And we may have already seen the rally, uh, Peter, on those stocks coming back because really very little has actually changed in the UK. It's just that we the uncertainty's gone, right? Yeah. Uh, and and certainly is pretty yeah, they've still got an managed Brexit through. So all the reasons that Brexit was a negative, we've now got Brexit and they're still a negative for these stocks. So mm. all we've taken out is the fact that suddenly, you know, we now have House of Commons isn't going to sit there for the next three years doing nothing. Yeah. Now, it's ha- now we know something's going to happen and they have to get on with it. That's a positive for markets because the negative is gone, right? Okay, so the two big takeouts after all Paul's ravings were, one, yes, belong the markets and probably Link is the one to stick with for UK sensitive stocks, and the third one is those good quality companies in the health sector. They'll probably keep on rising. Look, I think if, if you hold CSL, hang on, uh, despite how expensive it is, and uh, I, I think yeah, deep down uh, that expensive stocks could get yet more expensive in 2020, simply because we don't have a lot of them, and people are going to chase things that can de- can deliver uh, top line. That's revenue growth, and there aren't too many companies in the Australian marketplace. Delivering 10, 12, 15, 20% revenue growth. Sticking to quality. And that's Paul Rickard of the Switzer Report coming up. Camilla Love of eInvest looks at how you should be investing in this tail end of a bull market. Well, this time late in the investment cycle, a lot of people are chasing fixed interest. But of course, it's not easy. And sometimes when you go chasing really higher returns, you really are adding a risk. Let's talk about this with Camilla Love from eInvest. Camilla, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. Let's talk about late cycle investing because we're kind of in a late part of the cycle. Yeah. So do all the signs point to a late cycle approaching or we're well and truly into it? We believe we're well and truly into it. So, and there's a couple of signs for that. So, the time period that's lapsed since the last reception, re- recession, that has been really long. And mm. obviously, central banks have been very accommodative to actually elongate that cycle. We've never seen them get in before a collapse like this, have we? No, we haven't. So, mm. we are in un, you know in uncharted territory. Mm. So, it is really interesting. But you know, other signs, you know, increasing volatility in the markets, and we've seen that of late as well. Um, and then one sign that we're always interested is in is the um, is deterioration of balance sheets for corporate. So mm. we're watching that. We're seeing a little bit of that creep in of late. Okay, because that has been an okay thing about. The corporate balance sheets because in the GFC they were pretty vulnerable. But Correct. Since then they've been pretty good, haven't they? Very good, particularly in Australia. Mm. Um, offshore, you know, it could be marginal, um, but we're definitely seeing a little bit creep in. Okay, what should investors do during a late cycle? Well, they really need to ask themselves a few questions, and one of those questions is, is it time to take some profits off the table? Mm. Do they need to increase uh, the quality of their investments at this time of the cycle? And for bonds, that might mean increasing the investment grade quality of their portfolio. Mm. And for shares, that might mean um, increasing the the quality of their their investments. So increasing uh, in stocks that might have a higher dividend paying Mm. and have good balance sheets. So they're in a sense, stocks that if a problem comes, like a stock market sell-off, they'll probably fall slower and rebound faster because people like them as quality. um, Exactly. Yeah, okay. So how are active ETFs advantageous 
during periods like this? Well, they can be advantageous during periods like this. Mm. And the reason for that is because active ETFs, they tap into the investment um, intellect of professionals who do investing day in and day out. Mm. So we've seen uh, particularly that uh, there is research that says that active investment managers, particularly in periods of volatility and negativity, mm. they tend to outperform. Um, it also means they're more nimble, so they can increase the quality. They can um, diversify their portfolio away from those companies with um, lower grade balance sheets. Mm. So I guess in many ways, if we believe that a passive ETF tracks the market and the market's going up fantastically, they do well then. But when you get into these, the trickier part of the cycle, and, and you might want, as an investor, a more defensive position, you're going to need someone to sort of put those defensive stocks into some kind of an ETF for you. Agree. You, yeah. And if you're not looking at it day to day, it's really good at this time of the cycle to actually tap into investment professionals. Right. So people might be asking, well, how do I invest in an active ETF? It's pretty simple. So it's investing just like a share. So if you have a preferred online broker or use a broker financial planner, um, you, all you do is you utilise the um, ticket code of the ETF um, and you can invest that way. It's pretty simple. And I guess in many ways people have to work out what is their investment strategy at this point in the cycle. Correct. I know after a stock market crashes, I tend to get very heavily exposed to the stock market because the rebound year after a crash tends to be fantastic. Correct. You stay there for a while and eventually start saying, well, might be time to take my profit off that, but go into more defensive type of strategy. Well, that's what I do anyway. Yeah. Um, so what do you think about investment markets now? Because we, we touched on it earlier. <clears throat> we seem to be in the late part of the cycle. The one question I've got is, my f gut feeling is that maybe 2021 might be more scarier than 2020. But because interest rates are so low, this late, late cycle might be the longest Go one I've ever long lived time. through. I agree. So, but we're seeing more volatility um, in the markets and we've seen that particularly last week. So mm. Trump and trade wars were on everybody's mind at the mm. beginning of last week. But then fast forward to Friday and a number of really good data points coming out of the US and markets rocket up. So mm. we're seeing volatility there. And in fixed income markets, we're also seeing volatility in credit spreads. Mm. We're viewing that the RBA might take one to two um, rate cuts of next year. Mm. So yeah, so I think you know, looking at quality, looking at investment grade, um, and looking at the defensive component of your portfolio is a really good mm. idea. Do, do you think that if the best of circumstances, namely Trump and China get a, a trade deal that the market really likes, that that then will help global economic growth, help the Australian economy, and as a consequence, we can be comfortable about being in the, st the stock market in 2020? Yeah, you could be. Mm. Um, but my view is I'm really interested in looking at the consumer and the mm. consumer's off at the moment. Yeah. They really aren't very positive at all. No. So I think there's um, you know, really good points on one hand and then really bad points on another. So I think 2020 will definitely um, see an elongation of that cycle. Mm. Um, but and I, I, I sort of agree with you, 2021 is, or late 2020 is the mm. area to look at. Yeah, you get a bit scared. Um, and what about, okay, you've covered the consumer, 
In terms of the, uh, the investor, what do you think they should be considering over the next year or two? Well, there's a couple of things to watch. So watching volatility in markets um, and increasing volatility. So you need to watch that. You need to watch um, credit quality. Um, and we mentioned that before, but particularly in corporates in the US. Mm. We need to watch bubbles forming in certain areas. Um, I think they're areas that we need to be watching quite a lot. Okay. Well, one bubble area locally was the, the housing market. Mm -hmm. um, are there any other bubbles outside the housing market that worry you? Not at this stage. No. There are there are a few, but um, I think a lot of investors are, are moving towards poorer quality, and I think there might be a bubble in that poor quality space, yeah, yeah. Um, in that lower sub-investment grade, mm. um, particularly in credit. Yeah. I do think that they're as people are looking for greater yield, they're flocking into yeah. that space. They all want 5% bank deposits and they can't get it. That's true. Yeah. And, and so my argument is that if you have to go to lesser quality investment products, you want to diversify so you have high exposure to any one of them. Because they all could get through a bad time, but we don't know, do we? Absolutely. So particularly in bonds, um, I think one of the pitfalls that clients can get into is investing directly in bonds. Yeah. And we've done the research. You need to be at least, you need to have at least a portfolio of 100 to 150 issuers. Um, and uh, you know, I think that you know that is a, an area yeah. that people should look at. So therefore, you're saying that if you're really unhappy with term deposits and you think, well, I should go into bonds because. Um, because bonds, particularly government bonds, they're really safe. And if you go into really good quality companies, well, they're, they're a bit more risky, but as long as you believe the company's a good company, like a bank or a Telstra or whatever, yeah. you could probably take the risk a little bit. You could. But, but you're, you're saying a fund manager actually has lots of bonds and that spreads the risk around. Correct, particularly in, in, in fixed income. Yeah. I mean, uh, there is, uh, investors do have that pitfall of, um, you know, looking only for seven plus yields mm. in, in fixed income and it really is challenging. So yeah. they are, it, you need to ask a question about what is the portfolio invested in and yeah. it really can be sub-investment grade. So seriously, people want 7%. Really? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Uh. So moving between term deposits and that, there is a number of things in between that actually push you up the risk spectrum, but not by far. Yeah. Um, increasing the quality of your portfolio. I mean, eInvest has a couple of portfolios, um, eCore and eMax, that are a little bit further in the risk spectrum, a little bit increased in the yield, mm. but really high investment grade mm. um, and offshore looking. And lots of diversification there. Lots of diversification. You're not exposed to one person or one investment blowing up on you. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So we've been talking to Camilla Love from the Invest.